guys, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And is it an understatement to say it's been a week? <laughs> I, I, I sit here speaking to you, welcoming you to the show, along with Max, if you can hear him in the background. Hello. Sweet kitty, um, as uh, as many other people I believe are, um, late night uh, with a little bit of whiskey in me and staring directly at the news coverage as the election continues to unfold in front of our eyes. Um, it has definitely been a week um, to remember, but you know things are playing out as they are, uh, and. We're not all the way there yet with the results, but we will definitely see. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, um, that's for Twitter, I guess. <laughs> um, no, today we are uh, talking about something that has been near and dear to this show and near and dear to a lot of people over the past week um, and even longer, and that is Paris is Bumping. Yes. So last week we had Jared Evans on to talk about the event uh, on just hours before it debuted last Thursday on independentwrestling.tv. And this week uh, we are going to delve further into the event now that it is out into the ether. And to do that, I welcomed someone who I've... I've been looking forward to meeting and, and just chatting with in general, much less having on the show in uh, DJ Accident Report uh, of the Nobodies, another notable um, LGBTQ pro wrestling critic and, and journalist, um, along with you know uh, so many other topics that he that he covers, um, whether it be through through the Nobodies or his uh, his Substack Judgment. Um, or any of the other places that he writes for, you know, just it, he's somebody that I'm very excited to have on the show, and also uh, because he has a firsthand account of Paris's bumping. He served as a judge on the panel at the show and was in that uh, bar in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, uh, to take in all that it was, and and we. I uh, had the chance to sit down and chat a little bit about that show and uh, get into some of the more, um, some of the cultural impact, some of the, the um, more memorable moments and maybe what we want to see coming out of this and, and for the future. Um, so yeah, it was a really fun chat and we'll get to that here in a second, but I do want to take just a moment to uh, send a little bit of congratulations out to uh, one Anthony Bowens, the five-tool player, signing with All Elite Wrestling earlier this week, uh, I believe on Tuesday, Election Day. <laughs> or, I guess, the first Election Day. But either way, like Anthony Bowens, a, a guy who has been really um, honing his craft over the past few years um, in, in a number of, uh, you know, Growing independent promotions, you know, he I believe he still holds the Wrestle Pro Gold Championship at the moment, the first uh, Battle Club Pro franchise champion. Just recently relinquished that title, um, which I think was what sparked some of the curiosity about whether he had signed a contract or anything like that. There's a story up on Outsports I, I wrote that kind of talked a little bit about that, but it's just awesome to see someone who's put in the work and really committed himself to growing as uh, a wrestler, as a person, and honestly part of that journey really being him um, finding himself and finding comfort in himself to live openly and out as a, as a gay man. And, you know, it's awesome to see that, you know, all of the wrestling is extending the LGBTQ ranks there at the company. Um, and, yeah. I don't know. I'm just excited to see what what is in store for him. I know he's going to be mostly, or at least initially, teaming up with uh, Platinum Max Caster as a tag team, uh, and that'll be really interesting to see and see how that plays out. But yeah, uh, from all of us here at LGBT in the Ring, uh, congratulations to Anthony, and uh, really excited to see what you do now that you are officially all elite. Yes. Um, but now let's officially move on to our conversation with the Nobody's DJ Accident Report. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am very happy to have as my guest this week someone who was in the building 
for Paris is bumping. Um, he was a judge uh, throwing up uh, everything from zeros to tens and all kinds of shade on everyone in that little bar in Maryland. Uh, DJ Accident Report, welcome to LGBT in the Ring. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm such a huge fan of what you've been doing and um, jealous that you sometimes snag interviews before I get to them. So <laughs> now I'm on here and there's like a weird surreal surreality to that. Exactly. I mean, let, let's be fair. Like I, I've been looking forward to having the chance to chat with you as well. Cause like, yeah, like obviously peers in the industry, that whole thing about like snagging interviews before each other, like is a hand wringer. But at the end of the day, like, that 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 work that we that we do um, on our different channels there, like it's it's important. And I now I honestly, before we even get into talking, I just wanted to like commend you and Berica and Ariel because like the Nobodies were one of the groups that I discovered that made me realize that no, I could actually like put my own um, perspective as a queer person into like covering pro wrestling as a whole so like i just want to commend you on that before we even get into anything so this Thank is a you. gift for I me that. <laughs> no i i appreciate that it's it's sometimes like you you kind of can't always see the forest for the trees when you're in the weeds of it and you're like why are we like what is this like why are we doing this and like so it is it is nice to hear that it has meaning to to people um because sometimes it doesn't feel like it has any meaning at all. <laughs> I mean, it, I also try, I do try and keep a little bit of perspective about it. Like I, I do understand that queer representation is important and I, but I also like have grown to hate the word important because it's like, there are more important things in the world than pro wrestling. <laughs> and, um, you know, like uh, uh, these past few months have been a real eye opener about the lack of importance of wrestling in terms of uh, what other things are going on. So yeah um i am i appreciate your compliment and compliment and i accept it with humility <laughs> awesome uh well um of course you are we're having you on the show because you were live in the building at paris is bumping you were on the judges panel as we said um i i think the response to paris is bumping has been amazing to see the the uh the marriage of ballroom with pro wrestling and before we get to the actual event i just want to talk to you a little bit about about ballroom specifically mm -hmm. because like you know this is something that you're definitely more well versed in than i am and i think that even though you know the audience for this show does skew more lgbtq like there's still like some i think like it's either like a very base level understanding or like there's still not as much light shown on the the ballroom scene or the ballroom culture um as a whole for, for all communities. So uh, if for the uninitiated, how would you describe ballroom? Oh boy. Um, well, okay. So first let me start with like the caveat that like, I am not a member of the ballroom community. Mm -hmm. Like I am an, a huge fan of that world. I, um, I am not like, I'm not the most qualified person to speak on it. And I don't want, like my take on what it is to be considered definitive or authoritative in any way, shape or form. That would be like wrong of me to like come out as an authority on this. What I can say is that um, I've been to balls. I watch balls literally constantly. I watch more balls than wrestling at this point. I barely even watch wrestling anymore at this point. I have become very addicted to Paris Ballroom TV, which is an incredible YouTube channel that just has Vogue, uh, Vogue performance categories in full from all these balls all over Europe in Rotterdam and Paris and uh, Dusseldorf. And it, it's just the most amazing thing. So I am speaking as a fan. So that caveat now out of the way. Um, first of all, like ballroom is a sport. It is not, it is not, um, it is like a real competition. It is not worked. It is not worked like wrestling is worked. Um, it is, more athletic than a lot of sports that are more conventionally considered sports. Um, the, the idea of ballroom basically is that um, usually Latinx, black, brown, people of color, various members of the LGBTQ community compete in what are called categories. The categories range from drag performance to realness in which people compete uh, 
in specific categories with looks and fashions to portray a specific character, uh, which is delineated by the ball ahead of time. And then there are usually performance categories, which are um, the ballroom Vogue categories in which people are competing in, in the dance form of Vogue. Um, I guess that's the basics of it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's really hard to understand. I think it's like, there are as many rules to ballroom as there is to baseball, let's say. So it would be like explaining baseball to someone who's never seen baseball before. It's like a really visual thing. You can't really do it unless you see it. So um, I guess the power of ballroom comes a lot from, uh, and this is where it, it overlaps with wrestling is that the, the way ballroom is judged is, is that the person who is feeling the fantasy of the ball, of, of the category the most is usually the person who wins. And so it's not necessarily always about someone who has the most expensive or put together look. It's about the person who exudes realness the most. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's very similar to wrestling where not always the best wrestlers are the ones who are the most beloved. Not always is it the person with the most put together look who is the one who gets, who gets the most fans. It is about who exudes the reality of the fantasy the most. That is the most important thing. Um, I think what, when people think of ballroom, what they most think of is the, the Vogue and performance categories. Yeah. And those to me are my favorite categories. Although I of course love the realness categories and the runway categories and the fashion categories. But um, the, the, I think when, when people think of ballroom, that's kind of what they think of, even though it's not, that's not what most of a ball is a lot of the time. It's usually there's only one or two or three Vogue or performance categories in a ball, whereas a ball could have up to, you know, a hundred categories. Um, so I, I guess that's the outline of it. <laughs> I really just went <laughs> off. Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. It was all good. Like, I think as a, like, I, I think that the comparison between, between ballroom and pro wrestling is definitely there, like from the athletic perspective, from the pageantry perspective, from the, even just the, the idea of exuding a character to like circumvent the a, a, like the level of ability or something like that and i think you're right in that most people do associate ballroom with the bow categories specifically because like that's really what gets the most play right now like i know we we talked about um multiple people have talked about like the the sort of reemergence of ballroom through you know shows like pose and you know kiki and legendary and you know let's be real like legendary really focuses mostly on vogue elements yeah, that was, I thought that was a crazy part of the show. Like uh, Erica uh, Lamvin, Lamvon actually says it at one point where she's just like, I don't walk the performance categories. <laughs> and <laughs> her to do, like she walks face. So like, th that's another category face where you're judged on the beauty of your face. And so she was like, she had to learn all these choreographed, she's not a dancer. Like it's <laughs> sort of absurd. I mean, yeah. she was amazing. And I actually think she's an incredible voguer, but like, that's not what she walks. <laughs> yeah, and like it, it's so much more of a repertoire than just that one thing. And I think that, you know, more people that are starting to kind of get into this or like see this world are starting to realize that. And I think that's one of the key things I really liked about how Billy and, and Lowe incorporated ballroom into Paris's bumping. Um, because like, obviously you had, you had performances there and, and that sort of thing, but you also had moments like the like sex siren with with Mariah Moreno and and um like different elements there that that didn't necessarily feed into the kind of generalization of Vogue equals ballroom. Yeah, and I I like I had some concerns. You know, of course it's not my place. I was just like a, a hired help basically on the show, <laughs> so I wasn't about to question Billy's vision. And I had some concerns because I was like, all right, well, so it's like a ballroom themed wrestling show, but like we don't have like a performance category we don't have a realness category and then billy was like oh yes we do and, and like really showed me up and i was like okay you you really did it i guess you know i wish and me and billy had talked about this i had wished and it just wasn't possible in the in the in the time frame and because of the coronavirus i wished we could have had ballroom people from the community there showing real battles because i think until you see a real battle you really can't understand the beauty of Vogue as, as a dance form it is a dance form that, that has so much beauty 
but like wrestling it's it it is a it is a combat it is it is a it it needs to be in my opinion in its apex in its prime form it is a form of dance that is done as a battle and so you know i i think candy's performance was incredible but i think when wrestling fans start seeing real battles is when they'll really start getting invested in it and i think legendary did sort of capture that aspect although not enough like the battles were not the primary focus of of that show either no no they really weren't yeah and that's and you know i think it just factors more into that comparison between pro wrestling and, and ballroom there is that like you know you see these one on one on one two on two contests like like houses battling the same as like teams battling it, it really feeds into the the connection in a way and i think makes it a lot more i hate i don't like to use the word palatable but for lack of a better term like it it just translates more i think in, in that mm-hmm. way so mm-hmm. no it's just interesting this is interesting to watch especially considering looking at the responses to like candy's segment and mariah's segment um coming out of that like they those were two of the most talked about segments coming out of the show i mean can you tell me about the responses because i um (laughs) as a a coping strategy for uh the world i have um downloaded a uh news fleet news feed blocker so Mm -hmm. i don't have a news feed anymore so what were people's responses well i mean everybody was just like celebrating candy and and her performance out there like it was just i think that was probably the the one of the most shared images was candy split on the ring apron before entering like everybody was just celebrating candy loving the the vogue like loving the performance loving just seeing so many femme queens in in one place and really putting that to the forefront in in a in a that way especially the the body positivity element too um was was really um awesome and then mariah i think just i mean i don't know what to say about mariah like everybody was just like there was a lot of fawning there was a lot of like as there should be exactly (laughs) (laughs) but there was one thing one interesting thing and this is a a discussion between myself and my partner when we were talking about the show was um like even like yes this was uh, a show that featured lgbtq identities and it featured notably trans identities in in these segments um especially like segments that had like sexualization to them but my, my partner was pointing this out at the end of the day it's pro wrestling has a tendency to overtly sexualize women of, right of all kinds and like that was probably the one critique that they had that they pointed out to me was just like you know that's one of the drawbacks to them enjoying pro wrestling and seeing that still like maybe like it just it didn't like ruin anything but it did it but it right. did like cause like a little bit of, of a criticism there I guess I must say that I don't agree with that criticism, no shade, because that sort of misses the point of the the category, right? Like, <laughs> of course, yes, we are sexualizing those women, but it's those women are competing in the category to be sexualized for their for the, their own empowerment. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same as something like semiotically or formally, it is not the same as like a bra and panties match. You know, because there isn't this, the the competitive element, nor is it um, like endemic to the structure of the competition itself. So yeah. I I don't know if I agree with that criticism. Um, yeah, but I, I it can be made sure. Mm-hmm. But like that being said, like I think the, a lot of the response was just like a lot of uh, a lot of fanning. Um, <laughs> when Mariah came out uh, with with that there, mm-hmm. so um, she looked so beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no, that, I think that basically sums up a lot of the response. Like it just it it really opened up a lot of people's eyes that ha- really hadn't seen those worlds and and seen you know trans identities like showing themselves in that way in in a very I think it was a very powerful statement. Both both of those mm-hmm. segments were. So yeah. It was awesome to see. I do want to get your take on being in the building, though, uh, since you were there. How, what was, um, well, I guess, first off, let's go back to the beginning. Billy, whatever you learned about this idea and from Billy, what are your initial thoughts? And what about, did, did you have any discussions with Billy about the idea at all? Um, oh, my God, tons. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. 
Billy and me have been sort of joking um, back and forth. Not, I guess not joking at all, actually. It turned into reality, but we've been like bouncing ideas back. It's all, it's, I'm not taking away credit from Billy. It was all Billy's idea, but we've always just kind of like, when we were keying, we would just be like, oh my God, wrestling a ball. Like it's so much fun. And Billy took it really seriously, obviously way seriously than I could have ever taken it and um, made it happen. So yeah, there was a lot of conversation. I mean, it also like, it was at first envisioned to be a live event and that would have looked really different. And, yeah. and it would have really, really, really just been a whole different thing. Um, you know, we, one of the tensions me and Billy had talked a lot about is like, will people in the ballroom community find this offensive? You know, will they think we're making fun of ballroom? Um, and I don't think anyone in the ballroom community saw it, to be honest, which maybe is for the better, maybe not. I, I don't know. Again, I'm missing the sort of Twitter reactions, but mm -hmm. um, that was a concern because it, it was so obviously from Billy a love letter to the ballroom scene. And he, he was very scared that, you know, Laomi or, you know, Deshaun or someone would see it and think it was a parody of ballroom when it, it so wasn't. So that was one of the foundational sort of, of um, aspects of it that was there from the start. And, you know, me and Billy had talked about like, what it, what, how do we, how, how do we incorporate ballroom into pro wrestling? How do we do the, the judging? Do we do, do we do judging of the match? Do we do judging of the looks? Like, how does it work? What is this event? So that was a, like the sort of formal structure of the event was, was always in question from the start. And I think Billy really hit a really beautiful balance of, of what, um, what, the, what combining those two things would, would look like. Um, you know, like I said, if, if it were possible, we would have had actual Vogue battles in the event, but it, it just wasn't possible in that way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Paris is bumping too. It could happen, it will happen, I think. And we'll see what happens in the future. But yeah, those were, those were some of the discussions that we've had. You know, me and Billy had the idea there's, there's in, in, they're starting to do these um, Vogue roulette categories, which I think oh. is like the coolest fucking category where like, um, it would be like, okay, so like uh, you, I've seen this in, in a few balls on YouTube. I haven't seen it in person yet. Oh no, that's not true. I did see it in an OTA in New York. Anyway, so it would be like, um, you go up and right before you walk, you put, pull a, uh, a roulette category out of like a bag. So it would be like, okay, hands element only. And so you have to then do a Vogue performance of just hands, or it would be like, um, no spins and dips. So it would be like, do a whole walk your whole category, but with no spins or dips. And so we were thinking like, what would the wrestling uh, version of that be? Like, you know, like a whole match, no submission holds or a whole match, no kicks, something like that. So maybe something like that can get tossed around. There's, there's also starting to be like in the category, it would be like, uh, Vogue like a Laura, who's like a very uh, a, a beloved legend in the in the in the scene. So like, what would it be if like, okay, so like, uh, you have to go into a wrestling match and you pull like Vogue like or, or Vogue like Hulk Hogan, wrestle like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> you know? So then you have to think of like Hulk Hogan's move set, and you have to do Hulk Hogan's move. And the Vogue equivalent of the, that was like, okay, what did Alora do, and what can what of her moves can I do? So it was a, it's an interesting thing to think about, like what would the application of these sorts of elements of each be in, in, the, in, in this kind of hybrid event and what could it look like combining these two things? Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of territory to explore for, for future events. And you know, I know uh, Billy's definitely been out there already pushing uh, a second edition of Paris is Bumping. Um, so I fully expect there to be another one and I'm looking forward to that definitely. Um, so talk to me about like whenever uh, Billy came to you to be a judge on the show. Yeah, I don't even remember when that was, um, but I was I was just honored. I was honored. I mean, I I like couldn't believe that like I was in any way part of the ballroom scene in an official capacity whatsoever because I had just I've idolized these people for so many years and I I just was I truly felt very honored. You know, I I wanted to. Um, offer my services as a DJ. We didn't end up meeting it because it was a pre-recorded event and whatever. Um, I also like, I am not a ballroom DJ and like, like ballroom DJing is so specific and I simply do not have the knowledge for it. Like every single category has a list of tracks that are, are you're supposed to play during that category. I don't, 
I don't, mm. I, they, the, all these DJs have this memorized. I don't have it. I don't know what tracks are for the face category. I don't, so I, I like couldn't really do it. So I was glad I was just a judge in that way. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is a lot of responsibility off of my hands. Um, and the judging panel was so like, I loved being with those, the three of those, the three of them, they were, they were so much fun. You know, the mood in the, in the room, I, I can't say there was no fear because of the setting we were in and we were careful, we were all tested, but, but when we see these people we haven't seen in so long, it was, it was really emotional because we wanted to all hug each other and we knew we couldn't and we wanted to all like carry and party and drink and whatever. And we just knew we had to be careful. So that was tough, but it really like, you know, Billy said it to me, Billy was like, it wasn't a real ball obviously, but it, it did feel like one. And I, I have to be honest that when when I when it was when we were filming and when we were all going and when we were in in it, it felt like I was at a ball. It, it had the same feeling, hmm. and you know, like I I wish I could explain. And this is one of the things that like I wish I I don't know how to explain this to wrestling people. Like a ball is is more intense than the most intense wrestling show you've ever been. It is it is so much more energy. Um, and that's why there are real shoot fights at balls all the time because it's a serious thing. Like I have never been to a ball where there is not a physical fight. And wow. I like, I like, because the energy is so intense. So like think of the most intense wrestling show you've ever been at. And it is one tenth of the intensity as, as a ball. And so um, I, I hope we sort of captured of course it couldn't be done without a crowd, you know, like there, we just, you just can't capture that kind of energy without hundreds, thousands of people at a place. But I, I think the spirit of it was, was really there. And I, I felt like there was some kind of like magic in that room where, where we were all working together for this shared goal. And, you know, the, the, the fantasy element was there where like, I, you know, Ashton Starr captures my heart every single time I see him because no one feels the fantasy of wrestling as much as Ashton Starr or someone like Billy or someone like Erica Lee. Like the way that these characters feel the fantasy of wrestling and in that moment simultaneously ballroom, it was unmatched. So, so it truly was a, a magical show to be a part of. No, I think that spirit that you speak of definitely came through in, in the presentation of the show. Like it very much had, you know, obviously, like you said, like it would have been, you know, a lot, you know, it would have been different if you had a crowd, it would have been different if you had a, a live audience there and, and you could have implemented more of the, of the, the ballroom um, motif, the ballroom mood, the ballroom setting and that sort of thing. Um, but it all, honestly, in some ways, like just the fact that the, the kind of like put on a show spirit, that the show that that it really had that speaks a lot to like some of the like the origins of ballroom in a lot of ways like finding like ways to carve out your own space create a place a safe place for yourself and your community to express themselves in that way and i thought that really shown through and the fact that you know a lot of the messaging around the show has been like billy or jared or um multiple people talking about like taking this bar in the middle of nowhere Maryland and turning it into this this place that really did connect um, the the spirit of ballroom through it uh, despite all the disadvantages when and when you say middle of nowhere I wish I could explain how fucking <laughs> middle of nowhere like I am from New York I do not leave New York very often I am very at home here I was in like another fucking planet and like when when <laughs> imagine if you will like Jay Lee photos who are like the, the nicest people in the entire world taking our portraits outside of this bar and Eddie McQueen in full fucking wrestling drag waving high Republicans to every single car that passes by. <laughs> I was dying. So yeah, I, I mean, I think we tried our best. I guess like what, what made me connected and like I've said, I've, I've only been to a handful of balls in real life. You know, like I couldn't, I, not so many. Um, and so when I was, I was reading some interview with Larry Legend where Larry was saying he would be hanging out at Escuelitas, which was a very, very famous gay bar in New York where they had Vogue nights every Tuesday. It started at three in the morning on a Tuesday. And like um, Larry was in some interview that I was reading of his, he was saying like at the balls, it would just be like, they would just happen. Like it wasn't like a thing where like they were always necessarily even planned. You would just be at a bar and then suddenly there was a ball. 
and so I think there is that sort of magic there of like we are we are in this bar and then suddenly there is a ball even if it's only 15 people in the room <laughs> it's not the amount of people that make it a ball yeah <laughs> exactly yeah no. um well speaking to the event specifically um you know what were your like highlights being in the building and watching the matches play out? Like obviously we had three matches, Ashton Star and Sahara Seven. You had the uh, the four way for the Divas Championship, and then one hell of a main event with Darius Carter and Billy. Um, what were your um, takeaways from being there in the building for the show itself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the in the building, I can remember distinctly. Um, after Billy and Darius cut their promos on each other, I'm like breaking kayfabe, I don't know. <laughs> but after they cut their promos on each other, um, uh, the, Billy and, and um, Darius, you know, walk out the room and Billy yells cut and the entire room exploded into applause. Like it was, it was truly like, we were just like, they did, that was one take. Like they just cut those promos on each other in one take and there wasn't a hesitation, there wasn't a script, they just did it. And so we, we all lost our minds at that moment. I also have to say, like, I, I got a little teary-eyed during Washington Heights' performance at the yes. end. Um, maybe just because I hadn't seen a drag queen in real life in months and I was just like, <laughs> oh, you're so beautiful and I miss my life. Um, but there was something sort of like anime credits about like everyone who had just fought each other and put their heart and spirit into this fight, just kind of sitting around and then like tipping this drag queen. I was like, oh, it's like, you know, the, the adventure has come to an end and like, this is our like celebration. So I, those were my two favorite, favorite moments of the night. Um, I also like, there were like, um, <laughs> the moment, the, the other moment that sticks out in my mind is that one spot with Erica trying to clothesline Corinne <laughs> and um, Eddie. Yes. And she's just so small and just like gets knocked back. I was cackling at that for like five full minutes. <laughs> I don't blame you. Like that, that uh, definitely was uh, one of the, one of the more uh, funny moments of the, of the, of the show. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about Washington because like, obviously like full transparency, our show sponsored the segment with Washington on, oh, on uh, yeah. So wonderful. Yes. Exactly. Well, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am as well. Honestly, I'll, I'll be, I'll be real. We agreed to sponsor it before we knew Washington was going to be on there. It was just mm -hmm. a very happy, uh, happenstance that that happened like right after like she was on our show as well. So like it just, and, and I don't know, I've listened to your conversation uh, on the nobody's podcast um, with Washington as well. And there's, there's just something really special about the story of Washington being involved with this show specifically, you know, obviously it's, it's very well known right now, the situation with her father, new Jack and, and how the hell has played out. And, and, but the real story I feel is like Washington's kind of like, re-emergence or re-acceptance into the wrestling community and finding this LGBTQ wrestling community that has been so welcoming and has really made her feel like she belongs back in this world so much so that she was on a, a pro wrestling show um, very shortly after. Um, what specifically, was there anything specific about like Washington's experience and, and seeing her have the chance to be Put herself forward in, the, in that way on Paris's bumping that really spoke to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we, when I interviewed her for our podcast, oh my God, we're talking about podcasts on a podcast. Um, it happens. When, when I interviewed her, what struck me is that, you know, like I've been around drag queens for a very long time. I'm an old club kid at this point, like uh, almost semi-retired basically. So I have seen the snobbery of drag queens around wrestling and around, um, you know, a lot of stuff that's not sort of homonormative. Um, and so when Washington showed up, I, I didn't know how she was gonna react. I mean, I, I knew she, she was a drag queen. I knew she was well-liked in Baltimore. You know, she she's not, this isn't shade, but it's, let's be real. She's not like an avant-garde queen, you know? She's a, a great drag queen, but she's not 
isn't doing something like so edgy that like this, she would have some kind of artistic insight into the world of wrestling. So I was, there was a chance I was like, all right, she could be a total fucking bitch about all this. And I wouldn't fucking blame her. Like she's in the middle of fucking nowhere. She just worked a brunch show. And immediately she got along with everyone. We were kikiing, we were throwing shade. We were, you know, like it, it, she just was part of the family instantly. And it was so moving when I talked to her, I was like, do you feel that you're a part of this family? And she was like, immediately I felt like I was part of the family. Immediately I, I felt welcomed. And it really felt like some kind of moment of intergenerational healing that was happening where it's like the whole world was, was like, uh, like worshiping her father for being such a scumbag for so many years. And she had to be subject to that like weird pressure. And now suddenly there's a whole group of people who are like, no, we want you instead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, I, there's such, such power in, in that, you know, like, cause let's be real, like in LGBTQ people have been in pro wrestling for, for generations at this point, but the profile and the amount and the, 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 let's be real, the power that they're starting to like have to, tell their own stories and share their own experiences and, and put themselves out there in the way that they have, like it's never been higher than it is now. And For it's just, sure. it, it just For keeps sure. on. Yeah. And it keeps growing. So it would make sense that this would be the perfect time that, you know, for Washington to kind of rediscover a, a new wrestling family in that way, you know, and, and I was, it, it warmed my heart to, to see that to see that happen for her on this show specifically and also just to see all the response um, that she's gotten and within the LGBTQ pro wrestling community online as well. It's just been awesome to see. Um, and of course, a Dark Side of the Daughter is so that name was so good. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> on the nose, but yes. very, very good. Yes. So I did want to talk to you a little bit about the, the Darius and Billy uh, match itself. Um, you know, obviously like on, on y'all shows, we talk a lot of wrestling, talk, talk matches. Um, how did that match come off to you? Like what was, what, what were your takeaways like thematically from, from what we saw there? In kayfabe or out of kayfabe? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer. You do both. I mean, uh, it's up to you. It's like a little mind bending now that I'm trying to think about it. Um, you know, it was, it was, it felt like a real sort of theater of cruelty moment, right? Like it was like, like there was, it was just scene after scene. And like by that point in the day when we were filming, I like hadn't eaten anything and I was pretty drunk. So I was like, I was like, oh man, like he's just like torturing him. Like this is like, it's just like, it was literally hard to watch in a sort of cathartic way. Um, and Darius has a real mean streak. And like, you know, Darius like is no stranger to throwing shade. So there was, there was, even though it was of course a consensual, you know, agreed upon thing, there was like moments where I was like, what is going on here? Like, what, like what, like, what am I watching? So, I mean, of course, the thematic, the, 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 what was the beauty of what Billy had really done is that like Paris is bumping is one story arc, right? Like it is, it is a ball in the middle of nowhere. And Billy is, is the mother of, of like who organized this ball. And this outsider comes in and says like, you're like, this is meaningless to me. Like I came here to look better than all of you. And then Billy says like, no, you're not in charge of our lives anymore. And so like that, it's so amazing that like, you know, so many, I'm so sort of sick of the cliche of wrestling people always being like, we tell stories and we, you know, every match is its own story. Because a lot of the time that story only really exists in the head of the wrestler. Like an audience, a casual audience member cannot follow a wrestling narrative because it's so genre specific. And there are so many tropes that don't make any sense. They're completely illegible to outsiders. And I think Billy's genius is that Billy told with Paris's bumping one complete narrative arc that anyone could watch and understand. And so the Darius and Billy match was the conclusion of that arc. It was, it was Billy showing that we LGBT people 
do not have to be the weak characters anymore and that we are in charge of our own destinies and that the the people who were in charge the suit wearing executives of the world you know at one point and this is why i think the exact the, the the category being executive realness was so meaningful there because at one point you know in the era of paris's burning executive realness was an aspirational category it was it was a fantasy that needed to be lived in the balls because it would never be achievable for those people in reality and so the story of paris's bumping is that it is now achievable and billy winning is saying to the audience like the realness category can now actually stop being realness and become reality and i thought that was what was so moving about that match mm. No, it's, it's honestly I hadn't even really thought about that that connection back to Paris is burning in that way. Like that's that that makes that moment even more impactful in a lot of ways. Like I don't know, I I just always come back to like Billy like before that match, like saying this is what the future wrestling executives will look like. As like like there's so many like statements like that from multiple wrestlers. Like, I think I always go back to you know Effie at the at the Rise Pride and Joy show last year that his promo there that a lot of people speak to as a rallying cry. Like you have multiple like statements like that that have created these kind of rallying cries for as these movements uh, continue to gain influence and and gain prominence and that's just yet another one in a long line and one that really speaks not just to the people in the ring but the industry as a whole in terms of you know being able to have people behind the scenes in places that can push the the scope of promotions the scope of stories um to include these people that have not been included in in that process for a decades at this point yeah yeah i have to say i i am of course you know i'm goth so i'm i'm prone to be cynical about these things i often find a lot of the the sort of coverage of uh indie wrestling to be very very self-congratulatory around issues of, of diversity and although you know i think paris's bumping is a rallying cry i think effie's big gay brunch is a rallying cry i think you know the rise pride and joy was a huge rallying cry um you know the indie wrestling world's got to step its pussy up these these girls are not getting hired on non-lgbt shows you know like i was talking to still life and still life is saying and i think accurately and i don't think it is an entitled thing to say like still life's like i show up to gcw fans are wearing my t-shirts but i'm not getting booked on gcw shows other than the gay ones you know like there is a serious inability of of these um non-LGBT uh, uh, federations not hiring LGBT talent extremely, extremely rarely. I mean, of course, AEW hired Anthony Bowens today. I could not be prouder of him for that. Yes. It could not have gone to someone more mediagenic, more deserving. It was such a no-brainer hire for either WWE or AEW to hire someone who, for, like Anthony Bowens, who was so obviously prepared for superstardom in ways that other people are not. But like, I know for myself as a commentator, I'm not getting hired on shows that aren't already having diversity as, as uh, a, a platform. You know, GCW is not calling me up. Like, uh, you know, Rise wasn't calling me. Like, there's, I, I can name a hundred companies that I'd be like, I, you know, I'm just as good as the commentator there, but I'm not getting a call. You know, so like, there's still a serious, serious, serious problem here where, where as much as the progress is being made, look at who is booked on these LGBT shows, look at how beloved and talented they are, and then look at the cards of, of other wrestling shows and look where they're not performing. Um, you know, I am not on a lot of wrestling, when I do other wrestling shows, I am not seeing LGBT people on the camera crews. I am not seeing LGBT people on the ring crews. I am not seeing LGBT people as backstage commentators. I, like, I, you know, like, and it doesn't make any fucking sense to me because like you hire, like I, I, and I've pitched this to several companies and they just like are like, yeah, maybe next time. And I understand budgets are tight girls, but like, you know, why isn't a drag queen doing like backstage commentary? Why isn't a burlesque performer doing a halftime show? Why is it like, I can keep going. So, so I, I, as much as the progress is being made, you know, I'm still angry about how much is not being done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a rightful anger to have. You know, I think I, I, I'm with you in that a lot of the coverage of independent wrestling um, has it's begun to 
embrace LGBTQ personalities more and LGBTQ events more, it still isn't all the way there. It's 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 a long way from being all the way there. You know, I think this is. I was talking to you know Jared Evans on on the show a little while back, and and like he was saying, like I'm really glad that I was on the Big Gay Brunch, but you know, I don't know if GCW is going to be calling the same right. way that you were talking about with Still Life. Like it's it's one of those things where you have people that prove that they can draw, prove that they can bring an audience, prove that they can like get over in your ring. Right. But you're still not And that your fans that. already like that person. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. It's craziness. It's craziness. And it's and it's and I don't think like I maybe when I was younger I would have thought like okay, these bookers are just homophobes. Like that's all there is to it. I think it's so much more insidious and unconscious than that. I think it's I think it's just more of like it's so, it's so automatic for these people. I'm going to hire the people I know. I'm going to hire my friends. I'm going to hire the people who I know draw. I don't need to take a risk. You know, like, it's not like they're making these insidious decisions of like, well, I don't really want, I got my, like, I think a lot of, maybe the conscious thought is not, I've got my one gay person on the show, but maybe that's the unconscious thought, you know, yeah. like. I can definitely see that. I And speaking, obviously you are a commentator. Um, I wanted to ask you this question specifically now that we're talking about this a little bit. Um, you know, we, we covered the big gay brunch on this show and we, and the the one major critique that we came away from with that show was the fact that uh, while predominant, the predominant number of people that were in the ring were LGBTQ identifying your commentary team uh, with Kevin Gill and purse were, was not. And that was yeah. a disappointment because like you really, without having LGBTQ people in those positions as well, how much can you really tell those stories and how much can you really like talk about the, the, the people that are in the ring and in, in an authentic way as a commentator, yeah. does that frustrate you to see like specifically on with the big gay brunch or like anything else, like any other event like that? Well, I mean, first of all, I couldn't have been there. So, you know, moot yeah. point. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I went into it. I'm going to be, I'll tell you the real honest tea. I went into it and I was pissed. I was like, they don't have a fucking gay person on a commentary. What the fuck are they thinking? And then uh, Percy and Kevin Gill were just actually so good. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'm not really bothered anymore. Um, like, like, especially I think it was Percy who was like, I am actually honored to be asked to do this. I feel like I, this is a privilege of mine to be asked to do this. So I think it was done with such humility and um, good faith that like, I found it very difficult to be mad at by the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Envy and Billy did get on the mic. Uh, I thought that was good. I yeah. wish Billy had been on the mic the whole time because I think Billy is like my favorite person. I could, I love Billy's Bronx accent. I could listen to Billy talk for days. Like I just love the sound of his voice. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was a flaw, but by the time the show finished, I wasn't angry about it anymore. Cause I just thought they were really good. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> um, well, I guess now, like Paris is burn. Paris is, almost says Paris is burning. Paris is bumping. Um, number one is in the books now. Um, obviously, the uh, the end of that show came with an announcement uh, with the kind of revitalization of the Butch versus Gore name and the promise of future events coming down the line with Billy and and Lola McGrath uh, being working together. Um, on a much more consistent basis in that way. Um, how does that, how does that hit you? Does that make you feel like confident going forward? Like seeing them basically stick together, obviously the team behind Butch versus Gore, which was another monumental event this year. Um, how does it make you feel to see that like this, this trend is continuing uh, for Billy and Lolo to keep working together on, on these kind of events? I mean, I think they're they're both the two of them are just angels from heaven, and I I I'm so glad that there will be more of these events, and I'm I hope I can be part of them, and I would be honored to be asked to be part of it, and um, I I yeah I'm I'm thrilled. I guess my my fear is that um, like I don't know how profitable these shows are, you know? Like I I like pray that. Um, this can turn, like, I pray more people give Billy and Lowe 
opportunities to make money from these things. I pray that they are not uh, investing out of their pockets because I have been there for a variety of LGBT shows where I do not make money on them. And, you know, I, I would, in the same way that I, I, I think that wrestling is very self-congratulatory about its diversity project, I also fear that, like, you know, because so much of the support is still going to the more traditional wrestlers, like, we, we are not seeing the, sort of the, the economic trickle-down to the LGBTQ people in the same way. Um, so I, I hope that, my fear is that, like, they... they I, I hope that they aren't taking the money out of their pockets for it. You know, I hope that people invest in these things and that that fans are buying the merch. And, you know, like I just want all of the gay people to make money. And like I I hope that all of this this popular the popularity we see on Twitter is translating to like more money in the pockets of queer people. Because if it's not doing that, then we're just doing art for art's sake. And that's all well and good. You know, but like, I don't want that to be the case. Yeah. Do, do you think there's anything specific, like outside of, you know, LGBTQ talent being booked on non-LGBTQ shows more often that could um, enhance the, the ability for, the, for that financial gain to be more feasible, I guess? I mean, the sad answer is I wish wrestling were fucking cooler. Like it's, it is a hobby for nerds. And like, yeah. the, you can't, I cannot get, Cool. like I, I can't I, no matter what I do I just like can't really figure out how to get non-wrestling people more invested into it and the part of the problem is that AEW and WWE are not very good I mean they're not always fun to watch AEW I think is a better product ultimately than WWE but like you know like I, there's nothing in either of those two in Dynamite or Raw or Smackdown or NXT that is going to get a person who is not already interested in wrestling interested in wrestling they are so close-minded. They are so myopic. They are so, like I said, illegible. Illegible. The character motivations don't make any sense. The the characters are are inscrutable to someone who does not already watch wrestling, who does not come with a knowledge of wrestling. So until we can start um, attracting non-wrestling people to wrestling events, like I think it's going to be a real hard sell to sell them these these more avant-garde, more hybrid. Mm. Um, yeah I, I guess that's really the answer it's pretty cynical I mean also I think like it's all like I, I what are we even doing during the pandemic with wrestling like what yeah what can be done like there's there's no real ways I, and I think this is true of drag too like the digital drag shows they don't make money you know like that's I've put on a few digital drag shows I've helped organize them I walk out of there with ten dollars at the end of the night you know, mm. like it, it's it's awful. So like I the 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 morality of of even running shows at this moment is suspicious. The financial stability of these shows is suspicious. So I don't know. I, it's it's all a real tough situation right now. Um, and whatever is tough for the industry writ large is two, three, ten times as tough for LGBT people, for people of color. So. I, I think it's we're in a we're in a real tough position with that that stuff right now. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that. It's 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 harsh. It's harsh to see, and you know, maybe once we come out of the pandemic, however we come out of it, maybe something like something will be alleviated. But you know, that's all speculation at this point. Um, yeah. Well, as we wind down a little bit here, I have one more question for you. Um, Coming out of Paris is Bumping, heading into a Paris is Bumping 2 or a Butch versus More, what do you what do you personally want to see from those from future events like this that you think will help make them, you know, whether it be like more successful or more um, accessible to other audiences? Like what do you want to see these shows um, become as they keep running into 2021? I guess I think embracing the hybrid aspect of these shows would be really exciting for me. I, I think um, we're at a point where seeing like a, a burlesque number or a drag number in between acts is like starting to be not normal, let's say, but a little like, okay, not so surprising. I want it to be a full fucking hybrid event, like wrestling match, drag show, wrestling match, drag show. Or, you know, if we keep doing the ballroom stuff, like a like a match and then a category, a mat, like I want it to be a real 
hybrid thing, not like wrestling with a dash of something else. And there are of course reasons why it has not been able to be that thing. You know, the pandemic being the biggest one right now. But I think that is what I'm looking forward to. I mean, I want, you know, like a, a um, like I want like a, a, a real serious LGBT champion. Like, you know, like how fucking cool would that be? Like I want, um, and I want, I just want, I like wish some of these like people like still life were like, I don't know. I don't know what's taking so long for them to be taken more seriously outside of the, the LGBT world. I, I don't, I, it, there's some kind of, like I said, pr probably unconscious block amongst these straight people where they see it and they think, oh, that's cool. And then they kind of don't think about it anymore. You know, like it leaves their brain really fast. So I, I would like to see like these people get the attention that I think they so obviously deserve because I think they're better than a lot of the, the kind of like more average wrestling that you see a lot of, in, in a lot of other places. Yeah. You know, and I, I, and I, of course I am biased and of course you can say that I am biased, but I just, I hope that these people get the recognition that they deserve. That's really what it is. I mean, out of the events, like if uh, Paris is bumping two event happens, if a uh, Butch versus Moore happens, I shouldn't say if, when they happen, you know, who do I, who would I want to see? You know, I want, I want, I, I want Candy to be everywhere, obviously. I oh, think who doesn't? Like, she's just like the, the best, you know, um, I think I think Eddie McQueen is like a really underrated talent. Um, I think Eddie has does like some of the funniest character work I've ever seen in a wrestling match. I've seen Eddie in like you know like uh, like scrambles or battle royales where I cannot take my eyes off of Eddie no matter what she's doing. So you know like I I think that there Eddie is one person. I think Erica Lee who was on Paris is Bumping is is going to be like a huge star. I think there's just it's so obvious how good she is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like it's. I feel like an idiot because you're asking me what do I want to see. Like I feel like when I walked out of Paris's bumping, I could have like written 18 matches. I was like, all right, here's how we would book the next show. And now you're asking me, and nothing is coming to mind. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it. No, I mean it. It works, and it, it's, it's a start. You know, obviously, there's a lot of other talent that you would want to see on these shows and, and more and more are showing themselves every day within the industry. So, you know, I think there's a, these, these events um, have a bright future, I think. And I'm, I'm here, I'm here to see how they develop and see how they evolve and, and all that fun stuff. And um, I'm sure you'll, you'll be right there too. <laughs> so. I hope, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird out there. I, it's very weird. I'm starting to be, I think, I think I personally have to be a little bit more careful about the work I take in the future because um, physical danger is, is a real aspect of this. And, um, you know, the, the, wrestling, the wrestling world, I've had my honeymoon period with it. And now I, um, I'm not seeing things through the rose tinted glasses that I saw them uh, for at one point. So as, as much hope as I have for these events in the future, I have frustrations, concerns, anger, and um, that's not always so fun to hear about, but I, I, I think that is worth keeping in mind as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, you need to understand what you still need to overcome and what you need to, to like push back on. So yeah, totally valid to still have those in there, even if they do like come off like in terms of like making yourself feel cynical and in, in, in that way, like it's still valuable to understand what you still need to accomplish in that way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, accent report. Thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting. Thank all you for Chris having me. Yes. Let everybody Thank know you. where they can find you online and where they can uh, check out your writing as well as um, all the stuff that's going on with the nobodies right now. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, it's not as much as there would be in normal times, but um, <laughs> please check out our podcast. It's it's uh, I think it's if you just look for the nobodies on uh, Spotify or iTunes, it should come up. Um, if you type in nobody's watching wrestling, it should come up. Um, we are currently working on a little show called Nobody Saying Hello, which is basically just an interview series where we interview people from pro wrestling, drag, nightlife, art, uh, writers, 
uh, visual artists, all kinds of musicians, rappers, just like basically people who we are friends with and find really interesting. Um, and it's, it's really amazing because in these series of interviews, you get to see the sorts of cross sections and overlaps of, of all these kind of fringe art forms that are typically perceived as quite lowbrow. And, and um, there, I, I, my dream is one day there will be a sort of lowbrow art community that we all work together in some kind of massive collaboration. But um, yeah, so, so check out Nobody's Saying Hello, the Nobody's Podcast. You can find my writing right now. Um, the best place would to, would, to look would be on judgment.substack.com which is a new-ish project that I'm working with uh, my good friend Tom Blunt on. It's basically we're publishing our old interviews that have disappeared from the web due to the fallout of digital media culture. Um, we're also publishing new content from the fringes of culture, also with interviews of pro wrestlers, drag performers, uh, writers, artists, musicians. Um, and sometimes just like a, a, a short 2000-ish word essay on a movie or book we find interesting. And it's, I have to be honest, it's some of my favorite work I've ever produced. I get to really, without the, the constraints of sort of needing advertising uh, dollars, we, we're, we're much freer to write more intellectual pieces, um, much more critically engaging pieces, much more intellectually rigorous pieces. So I, I'm really proud of the work we're putting out on that website. Um, and I hope you will come on the adventure with us and read it as well. Um, what else do I have to plug? Yeah, I, I mean, if you like the, the work we're doing, you can um, help us out with patreon.com slash the nobodies, which funds our future video projects. It funds the podcast. It funds live shows when those are possible. Um, so I would hope you would consider contributing to that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you once again, Accent Report. Thank you for having me. My thanks once again to DJ Accident Report for coming on the show and just giving us all of the tea on uh, Paris' bumping. And yeah, uh, just a really thoughtful um, and, and invoking conversation that the, I think really encapsulates the event. Um, and what we hope to see going forward here. It really kind of highlights something that kind of gets lost in some of these moments, like like Accident Report was saying, like, you know, we can create our spaces and, and see them flourish in many, many ways, but um, there is still frustration out there with other promotions that don't notice the LGBTQ talent. And as much as the community has gained over the past few years, there's still work to be done, and we have to keep pushing. Always keep pushing. Um, yeah. But either way, just stoked to be able to have that conversation with him. Um, definitely don't forget to check out his uh, his writing um, at myriad different places. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Shory to stay up to date on that. And also, of course, check out his uh, substack, judgment.substack.com. Um, and catch new episodes of uh, The Nobody Saying Hello over on uh, Spotify. Just search for uh, The Nobodies. We'll have a link in the in the, uh, the podcast notes as well uh, to check that out. Always really fun conversations. I Especially whenever you have Accident Report and Lady Berica together. Uh, it's The Nobodies are, are just such a great group. Uh, so entertaining. Just a joy. Um, but that is going to do it for us here this week. And uh, to put a little bit of an AEW bookend on things, come back next week because we are chatting all about AEW Full Gear. Uh, we are going to unpack the pay-per-view that's coming up this Saturday and uh, chit-chat a little bit about that with the, with the guest that I will not announce yet. Uh, but don't worry, it'll be fun. Um so, yeah, I mean, Nyla Rose is challenging for the Women's World Championship again. We just had the recent announcement on Wednesday night about uh, the NWA World Women's World Championship being on the line with Serena Deeb going up against Allison Kay. You know, it's Kenny Omega, Adam Page, uh, Moxley, and Eddie Kingston is going to blow the roof off of that amphitheater um, if one can do such a thing. Either way, they'll make a roof and they'll blow it off. It'll be fine. It's going to be great. But we're going to talk all about that next week here on the show. Um, so 
we will say goodbye for this week, but not before we say thank you to some awesome people who make this show as rad as it is. The Progress Pride Flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And of course, a big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for our theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSWBand. You can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, also, if you want to catch Paris' Bumping, or whether you've seen it yet or whether you just want to watch a replay and you don't have an account with independentwrestling.tv, you're in luck because we have a promo code with them where you get a free five-day trial to watch that along with so many other great moments. You know, we just recently had the retirement match for Matt Tremont. If you're into Deathmatch, um, like the heart and soul of Deathmatch, um, had his final match against Ricky Shane Page over the, week, over the weekend. And that that is a sight to see. It is one of the more emotional moments in, in wrestling uh, in a long, long time. Yeah, if you want to check out stuff like that, or Paris is Bumping, go back and watch Bush vs. Gore. Um, so many other things that are going to be uh, going up on IWTV. Like, a number of Uncanny Attraction shows, all that good stuff. Use our promo code, LGBTRINGPOD, and get five days free to explore that vast library over there. And see if it's something that you want to keep in your life probably will want to keep it in your life. So definitely use our promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and take advantage of that five-day free trial and fill up on some yummy, yummy wrestling. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. Um, and I think that's it. Check out Outsports.com. Read all of our stuff. It's all great. We've, I know the with the election going on, we've had a little bit of a slower week, um, but we are taking that week this week to kind of highlight some of our um, more uh, personally important stories that we've had over the course of the year, as well as some of the more popular stories as well. So you know, revisit some of the stuff we've done. We have some new stuff coming up there, and uh, let it kind of give you ease uh, as you take a pause from watching the slow trickle of democracy. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, with that, I need I need to go. All right. Uh, we will say goodbye for this week, everyone. But, uh, of course, as always, y'all stay messy. Be safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And for God's sakes, just be patient. Everybody's ready to die. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the demon so a lover could live. But the moon is high and the devil is shot. It's the formula six, six, six.